0: Alright, we finally made it. This is the party episode. Uh queer as folk, it's a gay show, and so you, you gotta have a party. You gotta have a party. And you know what you know what it means when you have a party with a bunch of gay people? Poppers. And party poppers. Oh, and an old guy's piss.
1: promised. I um, As I promised in the last episode, I'm wearing a party hat for this episode and I do hope you can all hear it in my voice that I've got a, an annoying piece of string right underneath my chin and it's making me so very happy and party full and glee and various other adjectives.
0: Yeah and I hope that you can hear in my voice that I've got one of those things in my mouth. What are those things called that you blow and they, they uncurl? I, I have no idea. No... Literally no clue what it's called. What are they called? We just assumed they had a name, but didn't bother to ask. Oh my god,
1: they! Oh, I want to say a blower, but that just that just sounds really inappropriate.
0: A sort of whistle, a kind of because it makes a kind of kazoo sound, but it's aluminium or
1: foil kazoo, I guess. I, I just have memories of people. You're supposed to blow out, but people would just like breathe in and out, so it would go. <laughs> I mean so that's probably that's a horrible noise to hear on a podcast, but when it would imitate someone's breathing, like they were on an airplane breathing into an airplane bag.
0: Wow very quickly. Well, anyway, as always, you are joined by the wonderful Louis Davis and the amazing Zach Copeland Green. And today we're we're taking you through the next episode of Russell T. Davis's breakout hit, Queer as Folk.
1: It's episode seven of the show, but not episode seven of the podcast. It is episode five. Five of the podcast. Yeah. Louis, did you get up to anything interesting this week? Um,
0: Actually, yesterday I went on a, a scavenger hunt around London. Oh, how does, how does that work? Tell me about that. So basically, um, for every tube station in Zone 1, a challenge was assigned to it. And so what we would have to do is we'd have to go to a tube station, photograph ourselves in front of a tube station to show we were there, then complete the challenge, then send proof that we'd done the challenge, and then we could claim the station. But... If we got two stations adjacent to another team station, we could go to their station and try and battle them for the uh, for the station by competing in a challenge. It was heavily inspired by uh, the YouTube show Jetlag the Game. Have you heard of Jetlag the Game, Zach? No, I have not. Oh, you are missing out. It is. I will Google it immediately. I am so obsessed with it that I went to London to pretend
1: to do it. Like that's. Yeah. No, I gathered. I gathered. You done anything fun? Not particularly. I mean, I've, I've been quite ill since we last recorded. I had tonsillitis, so, you know, the fun thing was recovering from tonsillitis. And I am currently spending the weekend in the south of England, which is a, a, a phenomenal experience. I don't understand anything anyone says. That's a lie. I do. I do. Um, the Berkshire accent isn't ridiculously offensive to mine ears. Mm. Is
0: the Berkshire accent just like the kind of regular Southeast England accent or do they have
1: like a special little spin on it? There's a lot of farmers round where I am currently. Um, I also don't know what the listener's view on this is, because obviously I am a Northerner, but I don't really have a Northern accent. So I suppose everyone just sounds normal round here to me. I don't know. Do you think I have a Northern accent? Um, I think you have a slightly Northern accent. Okay, because I definitely don't sound but... like... Like Nathan in Queerist Folk has... a um, yeah. To me, that's at the peak of the Mancunian accent. Sometimes he says things. And mm. I, my accent is not like that. Does your accent change depending on who you're
0: talking to? Because I know some people for whom that's a thing.
1: I think I, People have said that to me and I'm not entirely sure because every time I'm up north, when I'm at home, so many people say to me, I sound really southern. But then when I'm in London or within the south, people say to me, you sound so northern. And then when I'm in the Midlands people are just confused by me.
0: I mean I th- I think Generally, the Midlands is a um, bit of a, a dead zone for good accents, you know. Ooh, oh, we- Once you get the other side of the Midlands, you're back to some nice accents, I think. Manchester,
1: I'd, lovely. Mm, I'd be very sceptical. Yorkshire, lovely. I'd be very sceptical. Liverpool, mm, passable. Mm, I'm not going to go on a podcast and publicly denounce any particular accent opinions. Everyone has a wonderful accent,
0: you know. Okay, I think one of my family members lives in the West Midlands area, so... Whatever you say.
1: Shall we talk a bit about um,
0: Queer as Folk episode seven? Yes. So the episode is called 30. That's its name. Although it's weird because I think IMDB has different names. And for that one, this might just be called The Party. Or maybe it's just called episode seven. And this doesn't have a name as some of the episodes do. It's really weird. Only Wikipedia, it seems to like actually have an idea of what the names are. is isn't just
1: guessing. So we're going off... The Wikipedia names. So I've noticed this as well, because I've obviously I've been watching it on Channel 4. But then um, I've when I, as I've been running our social media, I've been having to record and cut bits of the show for our reels. And I'm, I'm using a website that has, again, completely different names, names that are completely out there. So, for instance, this episode is called That's What Friends Are For. The episode where so it's Phil's funeral is called Death and Remembrance. The previous episode, episode six, which we talked about last time, is called "Married dot 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 with Children." Episode one is called "Meeting People is Easy." It, it's so it's so strange. I don't know what was going on in the late nineties.
0: Yeah, no clue. But basically, this is so. What we're going to call this is the party episode because that's what happens. The party episode. We start off with Vincent Cameron rocking up to uh, Stuart's place, and it's weird because Vince just keeps repeating, "Oh my God." Oh my God. And then he realised he's practising being surprised.
1: Because he's he's doing that sort of actors thing where he's putting a slightly different bit of emphasis on... Does mean There's there's only three syllables, so you would have thought there's not that much you could do with it.
0: I feel like you can do like, oh
1: my God, or oh my God.
0: But like, even oh my God sounds weird. So there's only really two options there. He does
1: sound a bit odd when he's doing it, I, I won't lie. But Cameron, we we get a proper sense because we've had the conversation in the previous episode where Stuart asked Cameron, what they're going to do for Vince's birthday. And here already setting the tone for what the role that Cameron's going to play in this episode, he thinks that the party should have been held at his place. And we've really, we're reminded that one of the main tensions we've got as we near the end of this series is Cameron and Stuart. They do not like each other.
0: no, they've forged a, a temporary truce for this for this night for sake of Vince for sake of Vince yeah Cameron I mean Cameron even says he's annoyed they couldn't use his house but you know Stuart has a massive flat he does with a vending machine a in it vending machine. and a sculpture of a millennium dome <laughs> and that's probably not there anymore but although I, 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 it's always in
1: my heart I did notice the cactus that forms the centerpiece of that sculpture in episode one is very pre- is very prominent towards the second half of this episode, post-party. I saw that cactus, Louis, and I thought of you. Thank you. Stuart opens the door, and he pretends to be angry, saying, oh, because Cameron and Vince are like, oh, we just, we just were in the area. We thought you'd pop round to say hi. And Stuart's like, you can't stay long, I'm busy. And then we, the, he opens the door, and it turns out it's not he who's busy. It's the party that's busy and full of lots and lots and lots of people because it's a surprise party. We we get Vince
0: saying, "Oh my god!" and like it's we we find out you know which take he decided to use basically. Like the episode could have started in the party. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. started him walking in party. Oh my god! And like not even having any
1: shots of the out of the corridor outside. It's also it gives you that sense of the politics about this episode because you immediately get this sort of exchange between Stuart and Cameron where Stuart realizes that Vince knew all along yeah and so you get that politics of them trying to pretend for Stuart's fate for Stuart's sake but Stuart's seeing straight through that I i I'm saying political I mean political in like a a social kind of way. Because you are you know what I found? Is this like the original meaning of the word in I presume Greek? No, the word it comes from the Greek word polis, which means city state. So it does political does mean the management of a city, but I mean in the sense of you know, I've never been to a party where there hasn't been drama. Because if you give if you give a group of adults alcohol and make them spend the evening
0: together People are gonna fall out. I, I, I have been to a party where there was no drama. It was a wedding and it was actually quite boring. Oh, so exactly. So I think I was I was like, I want something to kick off. Nothing huge, but I want there to be a, a little
1: something to talk about and there wasn't so you know you know straight away you're you're in a risky scenario, things might kick off. Particularly when you find that I was quite shocked, there's all sorts of people at this party. Because Nathan is here with Donna and Daniel. And I'm like, of all the people Vince would invite, they're on the list. Very interesting. Well,
0: Vince didn't invite these people, though. Let's not forget that. (laughs) The guest list was organised Primarily by Stuart and Cameron probably also had a say because of the truce, you know.
1: No, yes, of course. But this is this is Stuart's party for Vince. I, I just the fact that a that Nathan is there and Nathan has managed to drag along Donna and Daniel. Although I'm really glad Donna's there because Donna looks so good. Donna's outfits in the last two episodes she looks so she looks so good.
0: Yes. I noticed she's got the um, the little fairy wings behind
1: her. And Daniel, Daniel is, um, when we first see Daniel, he's really, he's mean to Donna about her outfit. But I'm just like, that's, that's horrible. We've seen throughout the series, it's Donna, Donna and Nathan are ride or die. But now Nathan is sort of, he's sort of partnering up with Daniel because we find out that they want to get a flat together when um, Nathan turns 16. Yes, yes, they're planning that,
0: uh, I think his mu- his mum is in the, is in the episode later saying like you know what what happens mm. when he when he moves out at 16 I'll, I'll never see him again and he's
1: got a plan. Do you know who else is at the party that made me go oh my god everyone's at this party. Alfred. Alfred. Alfred is at the party. He's an absolute mad lad, party animal, and he's only six months old. Well, because Romy and Lance are of a party
0: too. Yes, they are. are. Do you think Stuart had to to invite her because of politics, do you reckon?
1: must, Must have, yeah. Because I suppose when you think about the people that we've seen in Vince's circle, I suppose Romy, Lisa, and the rest of the lesbians are part of his social circle. I mean, we saw... We saw one of them read Vince's palm in episode one, so that must be a sign of friendship, no? They're good friends. Although why, I was going to say, why Lance is there, why Lance could have just stayed home looking after the baby is a question, but then we see that question answered quickly because Lance and Romy have to take a photo together as part of the whole plan to prove that Lance and Romy's upcoming marriage is real for the sake of the home office
0: yes they're, they're they're really getting into the the um
1: fraud i guess they're they're into that fraud they're really they're really selling the story yeah but alfred's presence at the party um i, I laugh the fact that there's a six-month-old baby at this man's church. he's he's in like the cloak yeah he's just he's, he's guarding the cloaks which i'm not i'm going to be honest with you when i was like 10, my granddad well he would he would invite me to his parties and I would be the cloakroom attendant when I was 10 years old so Alfred is clearly doing that but obviously he had nine and a half years on me before he's he, when he started doing it but I suppose Alfred is important to the story because he causes Vince to sort of reflect on his age because we've already seen Stuart earlier in the series reflect on the fact that turning 30 is a massive sort of psychological toll and Vince now is he reflects on when they were at school and thinking that 20 was a million miles away and how him and Stuart used to talk about getting a flat together and that's what that's what sort of causes Stuart to then offer to let Vince move in with him and Vince's reaction is well what would Cameron say and Stuart reveals to Vince that Cameron has bought Vince a car for his birthday, which Vince supposedly doesn't know.
0: Yeah, he's he just decides, okay, I'm gonna spoil it. It's he's very open about what he's trying to do. You know, he's not hiding it at this point. And with some stuff that happens a bit later in the party, we're gonna see that it's almost possibly self sabotage. He almost wants to be the villain just so that just so there isn't hope for him
1: a real real sort of self-destructive tendency here. Because you said at the beginning of this episode that there's some kind of truce between Stuart and Cameron. And I didn't want to beef you about that, Louis, but I I don't think Stuart is adhering to that truce at all.
0: Well, no, I I would say the truce was up until the party starts, right? Yeah, Yeah. The truce was planning the party... Picking one location to have it in, you know, agreeing to not tell Vince. If he figures it out himself, that's something else. But, you know, agreeing not to tell Vince until the party started. And then the party's going and now there's no reason to keep up the truce.
1: Because so. what then? Stuart's next move is crazy. Yes. Isn't it, though? He kisses Vince. He does. He tells Stuart... Sorry, Stuart tells Vince to run, as in to run away from Cameron. Then kisses kisses on the lips.
0: He's saying, you know, don't chain yourself down and all that stuff. And is it is insane what
1: he's doing? What do we make of that statement? Him telling Vince to run because is that what Stuart does? Is Stuart running away from any kind of commitment? I don't. Maybe he's avoiding. Is he projecting onto Vince? But he isn't
0: running. He's staying quite still. I would say even. Yes.
1: Okay. Interesting. He's he's not moving forward. He's definitely, definitely. I would say stagnating is a word that has come that comes to mind now at the end of the series. And Vince, ironically, he does run slash walk away but from Stuart and towards towards Cameron. The cloakroom is is essentially a see-through, so Cameron is able to see through the glass to see what's happening, and I'm very sure that Stuart is aware of this. Yeah. Um, it's
0: all for show. It's it's just it's for drama glass,
1: you know? Yeah.
0: Or do you know, ooh, have you seen Boiling Point, the TV show?
1: I have seen... I can tell you a funny story about this. I've seen the short film, and I've seen the feature-length film, I have yet to see the TV show series, but the irony is my cousin's wife is in it. She's not an actor. She's a chef and she sort of did a career pivot and now she's a professional TV chef. But when you say
0: in it, like, is she a
1: cooking consultant or does she play a chef in the show? She plays, she says she's a background artist because apparently they couldn't afford to pay the actors to, to learn to cook. Slash pay the insurance of getting them to actually cook on screen, so a lot of the cooking is done by a handful of real chefs. My cousin's wife being one of them. Okay, as like as like doubles, as like hand doubles, kind of hand doubles, and then also you can see, you can also see her face. Okay, cool, cool. But no, I'm here admitting publicly that I have yet to see it. Just- anyway, the kitchen has a massive,
0: a massive, massive like window into it. Just reminds me of that because then because then it means that when it kicks off, you know, people can see what's happening, yeah, yeah. in the kitchen, and this is this is like a kitchen because it's where it's where shit is getting cooked up. <laughs> let him cook, except don't let him cook. Mm. We cut now to Hazel. Yeah. So you know because we're on the the topic of of this uh, horrible love triangle, you know Nathan and Daniel are talking and naturally they're also talking about this love triangle nathan tells daniel that vince like pretends that it's Stuart when he's with cameron he just closes his eyes and pretends it's Stuart. the citation needed you know
1: do you have a source i think nathan chats shit that's one of his defining character traits is that he just thinks about things, kind of makes them up and says them as if they're facts.
0: Yeah, he likes to spread gossip. He's not
1: worried about putting the toothpaste back in the tube, you know? I mean, not that I... I don't think he... I wouldn't say he is a barefaced faced li- Well, actually, no. Previously in the series, I would have said he's a barefaced liar. <laughs> but I think this is the kind of thing that... He lies about his own situation. I think this is the kind of thing that he could be the subject of gossip and say oh, I bet this happens, but he doesn't say it as if I bet this happens. He says it as if it is fact.
0: Well, yeah, because he wants to be the expert in Stuartology. you
1: know. He's got a degree in Stuartology from the University of Canal Street. Canal Street Polytechnic. We find then Hazel is making cocktails for people. Um, namely, she makes cocktails for Nathan and Daniel. Yes, do you know know what the first cocktail was? What was the first cocktail? It was a Harvey Wallbanger. Nice. In my notes, you know what I have in this section? I have the words Harvey Wallbanger in capital letters followed by a series of exclamation marks just because... Wow, I don't think I've had that uh, cocktail before. What is it? uh, I don't know. I don't actually know what a Harvey Wallbanger is. I just think of an episode... Of a certain science fiction television show um, script edited by Russell T. Davis, where the pun of a joke is David Tennant screaming the words "Harvey Wallbanger." How is "Harvey Wallbanger" one word? Um, and I'll leave it there because we, we we're not discussing said type science fiction television show. We're discussing folk. Okay. But I th- okay. But I, th- yeah. I thought it was worthwhile pointing out. That reference. Anyway, let's go on to the real
0: cocktail. The real cocktail. The real Hazel special. This is not a cocktail you can get anywhere else. This is one of a kind. Because this cocktail has a special ingredient. And what is the special ingredient? It's Bernie's piss. It's Bernard's piss. Specifically Bernard's. No one else's. Just like his piss. And at first I thought, is this a joke? (laughs) Is this a joke? Because she wants to make Donna feel better about... Nathan and Daniel yes. being dismissive of her is just a bit of a is just a bit of a joke from Hazel. But later on, she tells Bernard to refill the bucket, and it's like, oh, okay, no, so, 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 so Bernard knows Bernard is doing
1: this. Bernard is is providing the goods. I mean, we should just for context because I feel like we've accepted very quickly that there's a bucket of Bernard's piss at this party because he does. When Vince comes in, we when we first see him, he does like make a point that. He's having to like, collect samples of his piss for medical reasons, I believe. But he, is, he has got literally a massive red bucket that he's peeing into. Very bizarre that then Hazel uses as part of her cocktail scenario. And I think we've glazed over the fact a little bit that I love the little bond that Donna and Hazel have when Donna is complaining about Nathan and Daniel and how Nathan, her supposed best friend, is being quite dismissive of her. Hazel stands up for her and makes a piss cocktail. And it's just so nice to see genuinely two of the best characters in the show, the two mothers, the literal mother, well, one of the literal mothers, and the best figurative mother, combine forces and just get some beautiful screen time together. Queen supporting queens. Exactly, exactly and whilst the other queens go off to dance to SOS. I did think that was quite funny. I've always thought that Abba's SOS is such like an underrated song, but the way Daniel pulled Nathan to the dance floor when he heard it, I was like, okay, no, no, no. I can kind of agree with them there. Yeah,
0: you got to hand it to them on this occasion only. Absolutely. And now we get more drama. Uh, We've been talking about Alfred. We haven't been talking about Alfred's mother. How's that for a segue? (laughs) Uh, So you mentioned that... Lance and Romy are taking pictures to try and like look like uh, they've been together for a while and now they're getting married in order for Lance to stay in the UK. So, they're, so you know, they're taking pictures at this party as well. They want to get like a wedding, quite a small private wedding, just at a registration office. And they don't want anyone gay to come because that would make you look gay. Lance said, we don't want to look gay because then they might catch on. Do you think
1: that's a do you think that's a justified fear, Zach? Well, I think the way that it's targeted is towards the gays as in the men, as opposed to the women who could pose as Romy's friends, because well they are her friends. Um but do I think it's justified? No, I think Lance was really quite mean and spiteful towards the gays. He was I think he was a little bit rude.
0: Yeah, I think I think you
1: can have one gay. Like if it was just Stuart. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to put myself in in their shoes and think about. I can imagine that Lance is very cautious about doing anything that might suggest that it's a it's a fake marriage and that Romy's actually a lesbian. Yeah, Louis. I don't know if you've seen Fellow Travellers. No, I haven't. No, I haven't seen that one. Ironically, I haven't seen Fellow Travellers either. I have seen a clip from one of the episodes where it is this couple and they're they're lesbians. And they get investigated by the government and the government basically come into their home, search their house from top to bottom. And one of them has to pretend that the other one is a tenant who lives in the kitchen on the floor. And they like go into the bedroom and say, yeah, but your mattress, like we've examined your mattress and it looks like two people sleeping in your bed. But there's only two of you and you're both women. go, we conclude that. You're getting, we're going to prosecute you, and I can imagine. Obviously, fellow travellers is set far earlier than the late late nineties. But I do think maybe there is this fear that the Home Office is going to be really um, what's the word I'm looking for, really vigorous with its investigation. So I can suppose there is that almost a justified fear that the Home Office are going to be invasive because of this arguably justified
0: fear. Um, it turns out that Lance is sleeping in the same bed as Romy. Mm. They're doing all these things together and it's
1: meaning that Romy cannot spend as much time with with Lisa. I'm not entirely sure whether or not it was cleared up if Lance was sleeping in the same bed as her because Lisa says his stuff is in their bedroom. But I don't know if... um, I think Stuart makes a joke about how He makes a joke to Lisa and basically says Lance is sleeping, as in sleeping with, as in having sex with.
0: I thought that it was having sex with was the joke. And in reality is
1: that they're in the same bed. But if it's just that his stuff is in the same bedroom. I don't think Lisa answers that. That would be very weird if he's he's so paranoid about it that he's insisting he sleep in the same bed as her. And then I'd also... Well, I don't know.
0: Can they do DNA sample, do it DNA uh, analysis on the bed? So maybe. If you're paranoid, then anything is possible. You know, That's how's that for an inspirational
1: quote? <laughs> I do think it's very... Cu- Romy as a character. I mean, we get the impression that Romy is a very good person for doing all of this. And I think we'll talk more about this in the next episode.
0: Yeah, no, we will. We will talk way more about it.
1: But if it's got to the point that lance is sleeping in her bed in place of lisa i think lisa and Roy should have had a very frank conversation yeah yeah and um, what we do find out in this episode is that we may you may we may remember back in episode two or three when Stuart has to sign paperwork for life insurance etc etc turns out he never signed alfred's birth certificate as the father so alfred legally doesn't have a declared father. And so it's revealed that Lance will adopt Alfred as his legal son after marrying Romy. See, this is, I think like, this is
0: where it's like, this is going very far. Maybe it needs to go far to to work, but it is going very far. And it is, it does move almost into a bit of an existential thing because, not that Stuart has been particularly uh, enthusiastic as a father, but... I think the idea also of this becoming the status quo
1: is is quite scary to Stuart. Um, we'll leave the rest of that conversation for next time because I think it'd be a very big talking point. Um, I think we should briefly mention, because you mentioned it before, um, this is the point where Janice, Nathan's mum, turns up at the party. She doesn't come in because she thinks she would shock, well, sort of make Nathan feel uncomfortable. Um, but she gives Vince... A gift and i was i my notes just say bless her she gives vince a gift and thanks him for looking after nathan um even though he's done it quite begrudgingly we've seen she's very grateful that vince is almost there as something of a role model to nathan not that i think he's he particularly is using it
0: yeah vince is like i don't want to do the right thing because it is quite inconveniencing to me and you know, I never signed up for this, but I can't not
1: do the right thing. That's sort of his kind of, and you know, you you appreciate that. He's such a nice guy. And then Janice, as you said earlier, she this is she takes that moment to be on the theme of birthday. She talks about how Nathan's sixteenth birthday is coming up, and how legally he could piss off. Is that still how it works to be sixteen? I think the law has changed, and you have a far fewer rights. I mean, we we get a point. I think it's in the next episode where. Nathan talks about how he can leave school at 16. You definitely can't leave full-time education at 16 anymore. You've got to stay in some form of education until 18, even if that's an apprenticeship or something. So um, so Janice gives Vince a present. And on that note, it's present time, isn't it? It's
0: present time. Yes, we get a nice present ceremony. So um, it starts with Alex's present, which is every episode of Saved by the Bell, where one particular actor is is topless. He says it took him four years to tape all of that. Presumably, he was kind of watching episodes as they came out. And so his gift is just this this compilation. He, he made a YouTube compilation, you
1: know? <laughs> actor being topless for 15 minutes gay. Like. <laughs> um, I think this whole... sequence is great because they stop the entire party just to give vince's presents. i mean i i've never apart from like at a 10 year old's birthday party i don't think i've ever seen anything so ceremonial before for for gifts it is a ceremony yeah and then as teased out before cameron gives um vince a little box and vince goes oh you've You've already given me something, and Cameron goes, "Ah, that was to throw you off the scent." Oh yes, it was a Doctor Who box set that he already owned, <laughs> and it's a set of keys. And everyone there's a massive gasp, and I think this is this is such an odd thing. That everyone, the entire, apart from two people, everyone who's at the party goes outside to see the mini, which I think is just. It's just so crazy, that herd mentality. Um, and everyone's like, oh, my God, it's great. Vince gets in, gives it a test drive. Yeah. And, Dan- and then Daniel drives off and is back out in a minute. He
0: doesn't actually run away at this point. No, but no. For some- when I first watched it, I did think, is he running away? Mm. But then he just, he's back, so he's not running away. It's fine.
1: Daniel slags off the car. He's like, oh, clapped, up, old, clapped out, old banger. And they am a bit like... Daniel, who are you? Like you, literally, you are no one. Why are you at this party? Why are you being so rude? But I suppose that's why Nathan and Daniel are drawn to each other because they are quite rude and unpleasant. Yeah, Alex Alexander's commentary on that is they're basically married now. What Daniel and Nathan? No, I think it's um the basic the idea that Cameron buying Vince a car is is a, is a level of. Oh yeah. Presents that you buy for your spouse.
0: Oh, I did I I didn't mention it before, but I want to say now that like through, throughout this whole time, Alex has been the DJ and he goes on to be like the lead drag performer. As a as a as taking that kind of DJ role, I think Alex is the best character for it
1: because he he brings a party. He's such he's such an MC kind of character. But as I said, as I implied, there are two people um who didn't go outside to see the mini and that's Stuart. who we well actually there's three people oh yes
0: of course so one of them is Stuart. take a wild guess who the other one is <laughs> that's right it's Donald. no it's Al, it's it's nathan uh and then alfred is also there he makes a baby noise at one point we don't even see him we just hear a baby noise just to remind us that he's also there
1: I like the dynamic in the room because we. the first thing we get is a shot of the camera looking through the blinds down on the commotion below. Then we see that it's Stuart by himself looking down and then we see the camera shifting to Nathan, Nathan watching Stuart. So there's a lot of watching going along and then as you say, you hear the baby noises. You get a real sense of Stuart's issue with cameron and what's going on so that's when he pulls out the big guns yeah because
0: suddenly everyone's back in the flat you know everyone everyone left the flat everyone's back in the flat proper herd mentality uh and now it's time for the, the it's sort of a bonus present it's like like the car it feels like the car was supposed to be the last present and then this is the encore this is actually there's another present because so we we hear that Um, Cameron gave Vince a decoy present that was some Doctor Who um, to throw him off the scent of a car and it turns out that Stuart also did that because we think, or or Vince thought that his present was just like organising the entire party, but actually
1: he also bought Vince a remote control canine. And it's not just a remote control canine because in the late 2000s they sold little remote control canines. This is, I actually think. A 1 1 replica. This is, I think, probably the, one of the original BBC props that they used for filming. So, yeah, it literally, it's a 1 1 replica in the universe as queer, of Queer's Folk. It's insane. And the way that this is introduced is you can tell that Stuart was not happy about Cameron's gift. He, start, he is using K-9 when Vince walks through the door. So it's not like Vince doesn't get to open it. He walks through the door and K-9 is sort of moving around. And he he's so impressed. And you can tell on his face that that's the best present that he's got. Yes. And that's sort of Stuart saying to Cameron, look, I'm a better friend than you.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vince, I mean, Vince's love of Doctor Who was established in the first episode. And it'll be important in the last episode You know, it is such a constant. If ever you're competing for Vince's favour, it's not that hard to figure out what you need to do. You just need to do the most impressive Doctor Who related thing possible.
1: And if you're Stuart, who has so much money and can afford to buy (laughs) a literal one-to-one canine replica with a really well-functioning remote control, because apparently canines had really bad remote control. Um, and I won't... Well, let's not dive too deep into that because I find myself... I, f- I feel a tangent coming along.
0: Do you know, you know the bit where K9 runs into the sea? Actually,
1: in Brighton. Um, K9! I can imagine that cost you a lot of money. Um, and so Cameron's response, he definitely now... He thought he had the most impressive present, um, but he definitely feels overshadowed now. And so he goes and there's this great bit where he goes to get a beer and he opens the Budweiser so aggressively. And then... The camera's outside, and a dark figure approaches. Who could this dark,
0: mysterious figure be, Louis? Oh, God. It is It is the coming darkness, the beginning and the end, the person that walks in all our shadows, Rosalie.
1: Dun-dun-dun. She buzzes the intercom thing, and it's Bernie who, who answers it with, um, come on in and get your cock out.
0: <laughs> yes. this is such a gay party yeah and she's here and like we wonder why is she here Mm -hmm. because vince won't have said oh i'm doing a thing you should come so why is she here and it's great because as she's coming up uh we get an absolutely incredible drag performance from alexander it's it was like show tunes but spice girls right like it was
1: the spice girls album spice world is this is the Spice Girls album that has say um, "Spice Up Your Life"? But the last, the last song on the album is was my favourite. one. I had this, when I was um, really young, "The Lady Is a Vamp" is the tenth track on the Spice World album, and it sort of starts out as like a really sort of cabaret show tune, but then gets really quick um, afterwards. It's such a camp song; I love it. Okay, so I was
0: wondering if this was like some kind of remix. Like a Neil Cicieriga song. Or do, you know, do you know Neil Cicieriga? No. Oh, my God. He, he's made four albums. One is called Mouth Sounds, Mouth Silence, Mouth Moods, and Mouth Dreams. <laughs> and they're, they're all like mashups of pop songs. And a big part of it is that a lot of the mashups in, include Smash Mouth. Oh, uh, okay. So that's your homework. That's your required reading. For me or for Which the listener? Both. If a listener is not familiar with Neil Ciciarego, then no, this is
1: actually the lady is a vamp um, from the Spice Girls' second album, Spice World. Nice. I never knew that picking up that album when I in a, in a charity shop at the age of thirteen would give me such a musical education for my early twenties.
0: Yeah, I was I was never into Spice Girls, and it took me nineteen years. So you know, maybe it would have sped up the process a bit if if
1: uh... <laughs> um, so we get. Um, Miss Alexander Savage, everyone's favourite drag queen, doing drag to the Spice Girls. Um, And I think the comment is made, he's wearing Hazel's clothes, which is just such a, a great bit of fun. And that sort of, that really camp scene is juxtaposed with these really ominous green shots of the lift coming up with mysterious Rosalie coming in it. It's really, it's like something out of a horror film at this point.
0: Yeah, here's Rosalie. I, I actually got that reference. I didn't laugh, but I got it. <laughs> That's like baseline reference.
1: Like I'm not a big horror fan either, so you know. <laughs> so she comes in and she spots. Um, no, sorry, Vince spots Rosalie, and he goes into panic mode. He like kisses on the cheek and says, "Oh, should we? Should we go and get some food? Oh, I don't. There's so many people here. I don't know who half them are. Let's 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 go and let's let's go and get some food somewhere. Let's leave now. Yeah. And then she reveals that it was Stuart that invited her and Stuart who told her to come a bit later. And then Stuart appears and says, oh, Rosalie, Rosalie, come with me. Come and and meet Cameron, Vince's long-term boyfriend. And then basically starts saying, yeah, they've been together for ages. Cameron says they shag like rabbits. Which, I mean, they haven't been together for ages, right? Like No,
0: he's playing it up. He's playing it up. Yeah. To make... I was just checking that I'm I'm following the timeline of the show correctly, but, you know, it's not particularly long since the last episode. And that's not particularly long since the episode before that. And at that point, that's basically when they started going out. So, yeah. He's
1: playing it up to make Rosalie feel... Now, is he trying to make Rosalie feel uncomfortable? He's trying to... Oh,
0: I mean, yeah. Uncomfortable, humiliated, deceived,
1: betrayed, resentful. I'm wondering about Stuart's, like, motivation here. Because he... Cameron is his antagonist. Because he doesn't... Why would he want to hurt his best friend, Vince? Well, this is what I say about the question of whether this is
0: actually all self-destructive, you know? Maybe he just wants to tear things down. Maybe he doesn't care about breaking up Vince and Cameron. He just wants it to be that after the end of this evening, there's no ambiguity as to whether Vince and Cameron will stay together. You know, after the end of this party, either they're together and they're away from him and he can... He can stop worrying and just submit to the despair, or this will add too much pressure, and then they'll all split apart. And you know, eventually, Vincent Stewart will reconnect over time. It's quite a uh, depraved um, plan, and you think that like he is. Yeah, I would say it's it's certainly self-destructive, and he's wondering if maybe he can drag down Vince with him. Certainly.
1: And so Rosalie's response to all of this is she very quickly, she sort of she goes into the cloakroom. Vince tries to what's it deescalate the scenario? That's the word I'm looking for. And then Rosalie goes, actually, I think I'll go. Vince is, ch- is sort of chasing after Rosalie. Yeah, she's in the lift. He's running down the stairs. We sort of but even before that, there's a fantastic detail. Cameron tries to intercept Vince as he's chasing after Rosalie to try and de-escalate Vince. And Vince tells Cameron to fuck off. And then when they reach the end, when they reach the bottom... And this is a really... It's an interesting conversation because you think who is in the wrong here. Because Rosalie blames Vince and says, you lied to me, you said girlfriend, do you? Do you, all you and your friends laugh at me? And you kind of think, actually, you feel very sorry for her. And actually, you kind of think, oh, Vince, Vince has been lying to her, even though the entire time you're on his side because you understand what it is to be in the closet and not be out. And then she says, you're a, a liar and a dirty little Puff. Yeah. And at that point you go, okay, I'm kind of losing my respect for you, Rosalie,
0: even though you... No, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I think they're like, liar, that's valid. And Puff's like, okay, well, I guess I don't have to feel as much sympathy for you now. They do a similar
1: thing to Lance in the next episode, but we will get to that when we get to it. Yeah. And this is where we go to an ad break. Although I will say at this point, I mean, it's been true throughout the entire series. I put in my notes, Murray Gold's soundtrack really slaps. It slaps so much with the sort of his music to go to the ad break is great. Because he doesn't, there's not an awful lot of original soundtrack in the show because there's a lot of like actual like disco, disco's not the right word, but sort of like club music in the show. Because obviously a lot of the show takes place in nightclubs and parties but then when we go to a break, there always is like that. I don't know how to describe it because it's like a synthetic piano, dun, 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 but like not synthy. I don't know how to describe it. I'm not a musician. Okay. Yeah, I'll take you. <laughs> I'll I'll, um, I'll get in touch with Murray Gold and I'll ask him um how we describe his, um, his soundtrack for the show. So yeah, so back from the break, Stuart
0: wakes up and the party's over. Everyone's gone and he's just in the flat. It's great. He eats some leftover cake and it's so funny because this morning, I, I had to have bread, breakfast kind of quickly. And what I just had was some brith that my dad um, cooked. And like I said, you know, you can have some. I probably wasn't assuming I'd have it for breakfast, but sometimes you just want to have cake
1: for breakfast. So I totally get it. That's um a great little Welsh drop in there to remind us all of of your Welsh heritage. Oh, yeah. See what you did there. It's a good cake. It's a
0: good cake. It's one of them cakes that's made of tea. I I can't remember what Oh, yeah, tea cake. (laughs) There's a few different types. This is, like, the Welsh type. Mm -hmm. So I could just say it's a tea cake, but... Uh, then you might think it's a tonics tea cake, which is like marshmallow, which is completely different. Mm. It's weird that that's also called a tea cake. So this this tea cake is the one that's actually made of tea and not one that goes with
1: tea. The made of the tea. Yeah, yeah. Then that is exactly what it is.
0: Sometimes it's fun to have cake for breakfast. So, you know, I, I feel Stuart in this moment.
1: And sometimes it's um, because you have woken up after causing an absolute disaster and you feel shame. So you eat cake for breakfast. I think there's there's no in-between. It's either a super fun, silly thing to do or it's a really shaming thing to do. Yeah. So I hope, listener, when you have cake for breakfast, it's a fun, silly thing to do and that you enjoy it. May all your cake for breakfasts be fun and silly. But we do find someone else is in the, uh, after he's eaten some cake and had a shower, uh, as he's drying himself off, he finds Hazel has entered his flat. Um, she's not necessarily, she's not tidying up, but she's sort of, gathering all the presents that Vince left and she sees Stuart naked and she just goes, ah, I've seen bigger. And she carries up, um, tidying. And she sort of says, Oh, I missed all the drama last night. I was too busy dancing. That should be the title of my autobiography. That's what Hazel says. Not me. We haven't really had in the show a proper moment between, um, Hazel and Stuart on their own. Have we? No, we haven't. So this is where it all comes out because, when you have a, like, a close relationship with, say, your mum, which obviously is true of Vince, I personally find that you think your mum doesn't know you. You know, you have your whole life and sort of Vince has got, you know, his cool, fun, sexy, gay life with his best friend. But actually, it seems that Hazel Tyler knows knows everything and sort of she tells Stuart, you know, this uh, this is what I saw growing up about... Vince telling me about the new boy at school and his obsession with him. Some weeks, he wouldn't talk about him at all, though. Yeah. And how she saw Stuart leading Vince along for all these years. And how she, even though she's pretended and joked about, you know, Cameron being the one for Vince, she knows that he won't stick around and there'll be a next current Cameron. She doesn't put Stuart in his place, but she tells him how it is. And she kind of leaves him with that information, mm. and then she says the keys are on the table. He doesn't want them back. I presume that's Vince's keys to Stuart's place. I presume that. Yeah, yeah, like spare keys, like yeah. Which is quite—it's an underplayed moment, but it's a really telling. It's like Vince doesn't—Vince doesn't want to be friends with him anymore. I I really appreciated that
0: because there's a Seinfeld episode about. Jerry Seinfeld has Kramer's spare keys and Kramer has Jerry's Mm -hmm. spare keys, so they have their own spare keys. Mm -hmm. And because Kramer keeps bursting into Jerry's flat, he's like, you know what? I'm taking my spare keys back. And so then there's this whole chaos because now he's trying to get... George Costanza's spare keys and trying to do the swap there. But George already has, like, Elaine's spare keys. And it's like, you know, spare keys are, like, a big deal, Mm. basically. Mm. I'm just saying they're a big... I'm just saying I know they're a big deal because of a Seinfeld episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have have a thing to say about keys, but it's about keys... It's about the role of keys in Doctor Who. And I do... I keep promising myself this is not a Doctor Who podcast, so I will not go off on tangents about Doctor Who. And so instead, I'll comment on the fact that Vince is left playing with... Favorite Doctor Who character, canine in his apartment. Yes. Sorry, Stuart, not Vince. Stuart, yeah, because that's in
0: that's you know within the text. That's within the text. I mean, when you say keys are important, do you just, do you just mean that the Tardis has a key, or, or do you have something more insightful to say than that?
1: I've always thought that there's this important that you now you got me. You asked me, Louis, so I'm, I will deliver. Oh yeah. Is it? I know what I'm doing. Is it, there comes a point in a relationship where the Doctor gives a companion a key? And it's sort of saying, you're part of the TARDIS crew. I think I'm thinking of the Tenth Doctor giving Martha and basically saying, you're no longer a passenger, you a member of the crew. And I think what has always been underexplored is the fact that it's not just a key to the most powerful ship in the universe. It's a key to the Doctor's home. And it's basically this moment of saying, I trust you implicitly, you know, you now have access to my to my house to my home yeah and I think it's always overplayed as you are crew of the most powerful ship in the universe but no it's sort of I'm giving you access to my heart
0: but Vince decides to pull a Martha and leave Stuart's TARDIS voluntarily no
1: oh. and Stuart unfortunately the the Titanic doesn't crash into his flat so he's just left on his computer
0: yeah it's just we get a a scene of. Just a bit of a bit of silence,
1: basically, and until he until he gets a phone call, of course. And we don't we don't see who's on the other end of the phone at first. We just hear him say um, "fuck off," basically. And then suddenly it turns out that it's important, and he basically gets out and leaves. And it turns out um, it's Lisa, Romy's partner. Um, I, I have to admit, at this point, I still hadn't clocked what her name was.
0: Yeah, no, neither had I. in In the in the notes, I have put Romy's partner. I might just change that to Lisa. But yeah, it's Lisa, the solicitor. We remember she's a solicitor. This is important.
1: We, I think, maybe we got ahead of ourselves a bit earlier talking about the Lance and Romy situation because this is when we find out that Lance has moved in permanently. Um, his things are in Romy's bedroom. No, we. I think we do find that out in the party.
0: Oh, okay. Or at least in the party. The party is definitely where we get the joke of, oh, they're, you know, they're sleeping together or whatever. Yes. And the idea that, like, in the party, we know that they're taking the home officers thing really seriously. Yeah. But this is where we learn that Lisa is not happy with it. This is where we finally get Lisa's side of the story. You know, she's
1: there too, and she's Romy's actual partner. And we find out that she's been paying half the mortgage for six years and this is where you kind of go you're a solicitor babes i can't believe you you didn't clock that she has had nothing in writing to say that she's paying half the mortgage
0: yeah i was wondering is it like dangerous to have something in writing or no probably not because i feel like it's it's legal to be a lesbian and it's legal to own property with someone exactly you can own property with a business partner and not be in any kind of romantic or sexual relationship with them. So
1: I feel like maybe this stems from the fact that when you sort of of sit down and write a con because basically you just have to sit down and write a contract to basically say, yeah, I'm paying Romy money to pay for half the mortgage. You, in order to sit down and write a contract, you're basically saying, I don't trust you. And I think that maybe one day we'll split up and you will try and take the whole property and that is essentially half of which is mine. And so maybe they spent six years just being like, Oh, I, I trust you implicitly. Now this, the situation that you would have feared and hoped never happened has now kind of happened. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think as awkward as it is, this is why you kind of just bite the bullet and just be like, okay, let's just yeah. get something in writing and then everything else we trust you implicitly. Also because like, What's Lisa's... Like, what does she own? Because she must then own some stuff herself. and Or if they have, like, a joint bank account. And joint bank accounts can be cute because then you're working towards, like, a holiday
1: together or something. That can be cute
0: and not contractual or whatever, you know?
1: It does make me think... She's claimed to be a very good solicitor before. And this does, this is not the behaviour of a very good solicitor, I'm sorry. Yeah. To not manage her own personal affairs and such. Uh, I don't want to hate on Lisa, but... um I'm, I'm a little bit let down by her. But anyway, she's decided to be a vigilante because she's decided that things have gone too far and so has basically decided that the the best thing she can do is to take her love letters that she's sent, that Romy has sent to her and let the home office see them in order to sort of out Romy to the home office.
0: Yeah, they're, they're tied up in like a bundle of string and I was wondering if they were ever going to get put in like an actual package to protect them.
1: But they're always just in that quite like whimsical bundle of string. Mm. Romy's like, I'm um, sorry, Lisa's like, I can't send them. So you'll have to send them, Stuart. And obviously... Because she doesn't want Romy to hate her. Yeah. Uh, but someone has to send them. Mm-hmm.
0: And so she wants Stuart to do it and take the blame because of Alfred. He's doing it because of Alfred, because he's her father, basically.
1: And she wants that to be the narrative. What's quite confusing is then Lisa says, you know, as a solicitor, I can tell you that Romy can't deny you access to Alfred because you're the you're Alfred's father. But Lisa did say earlier in the episode that legally there's no father on Alfred's birth certificate, so surely there's a little bit of a problem there. This idea of having things in
0: writing. Oh, she doesn't have a mortgage in writing. He doesn't have Alfred in writing. You know, but the scene could have just been that she says that, well, because you're not in writing, this is also important for you. You know, she could have said that as a uh, as a way to sort of try and persuade him. Or, oh, actually, no, because if he... No, I think what it is is if he does this and the reason is because he's the father, then it turns out that he's the father and maybe that means that legally she can't stop him from seeing Alfred because... He did this because he's a father. You know what I mean? Like, if he's doing it, it it kind of adds evidence to the fact that he's a father, which makes it harder. I think that might be it. But if he does this, it 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 sort of strengthens his case as like I'm the father, basically. The thing is, right, is that law is finicky, quite famously, and I I don't like finicky stuff.
1: <laughs> you don't like finicky stuff. No, I'm, I'm much more I'm much more interested in the character, the character drama here. Um, so it's, it's simple enough to say he agrees, and I don't. I kind of, from the bit what we've seen, I don't blame him because I do still think that Lance was a bit mean to him about the wedding earlier. So basically, he agrees to he agrees to do it. Yes, he's like
0: you know Lance. He was a bit mean to me about the the marriage situation, and so I think a a sort of an an equal retributive action of of sort of of sort of taking just into my own hands an equal and opposite action to this would be to uh get him deported (laughs) that's definitely on the same level something else i really like about this is uh how lisa talks to Stuart and mocks him and it's not like in the second episode where they're having his balls in the vice and saying like you know sign this life insurance contract uh she is being a bit more like jokey with him and a bit more chummy i guess when she's talking about the legal stuff with with romey uh stewart is like you know oh what about love and and then she says that um oh i'm just simplifying the story for my audience which is a great dig at his his sort of his uh his um obsession with hookups and and uh, not as much for focus on on love, and also the, the the letters. He's wondering if he could like read them, and she says, "Oh no, you couldn't, because it's joined up handwriting." And <laughs> uh, I like this kind of connection between Lisa and Stuart of like a sort of not so much a friendship,
1: but certainly a mutual respect. They certainly have they have mutual interests, and the enemy of my enemy is my friend. N- Never was there a, a true time. And so we cut to Stuart reading some of the letters, which he probably shouldn't be doing. Um because also I found this is absolutely hilarious and I thought, of course this is happening. Stuart doesn't clean his own flat. He has people he has he has a load of um cleaners come in and clean his flat for him. He
0: has so many there's so many there at once, you know it's like a big army. Like he wanted to get a lot of people in for an hour instead of one person in for a few hours so he doesn't have to like interact with people you know
1: and all of a sudden there's a um a buzzing at the door and turns out Nathan's come come round it's interesting because basically from this point forwards after the
0: party we don't see Vince or Cameron you know like they're gone from the episode where we're only ever looking at Stuart's perspective mm. from this point on because Nathan tells Stuart that oh, Vincent Cameron have been saying horrible things about you. They really hate you. I wanted to see if you're okay. That's probably true. Let's be honest. That that's very believably true. Don't think that Nathan needs to exaggerate this one, considering what Stuart did. But we're in the same position of Stuart, which is hearing about it and wondering whether to let Nathan in. That's such a good point, though.
1: That's a really that's a really good observation.
0: Hmm. You sound surprised <laughs>
1: <laughs> No never. Stuart's kind of like he doesn't, he doesn't want to see Nathan um, Nathan asks him if it's all right, if he's all right and I was like that's quite wholesome that Nathan is, yeah. is ostensibly concerned about Stuart's welfare um, and what it is is Stuart ignores him and then the camera reflects how Stuart looks at the letters and then he has an idea he's
0: got a plan. Because at first he's like fuck off and then he hears what Nathan has to say and you know maybe maybe mellows out a bit but and so i think the idea is that like sort of he realizes that Nathan can think that he's being let into the flat because he's said what he said right Nathan can think that he's coming into the flat because he's managed to convince Stuart to let him in but Stuart is like actually i have a plan and so this is great. When when Nathan is in the lift, like Rosalie was, uh, Stuart keeps pulling the door open a little bit on his floor, and because of you know safety, that stop makes the lift stop. So he keeps doing that, and the lift kind of keeps stop starting, so that he has more time to change his appearance, get ready, sit on the couch, look like he's watching TV, and not lying there depressed as 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 nathan comes up and yeah it's it's good because after this quite like this dip in the episode's ending because we had a party and now we're hungover and it's like okay no hungover's
1: over we got some plot to do (laughs) he didn't just change clothes he changes into kind of like he takes his pants off so he's just wearing his underwear and then puts on like a, a tight black shirt they so kind of he's basically using his sexy clothes so that when Nathan looks in, he clearly I think he wants to seduce Nathan because he kind of he knows how he can use Nathan. So it's the, what you said about us now following Stuart. I think we have a complex. Um, we don't exactly feel Completely sorry for Stuart because he is to blame for the terrible things that he's done to his best friend, and now we see him try to manipulate this minor by using sex. And Nathan, what I can, what I, what I will say is, Nathan looks a bit visually older. He's got some good hair, uh, but they end up playing ping pong, and Stuart tells Nathan everything, and Nathan is the one that suggests. Basically, they end up, they end up making out, and Nathan suggests. Oh, I'll do it. I'll send the letters. Um, and even if Vomi thinks you asked me, I'll say that um, you didn't and that I completely offered because I was concerned about Alfred. About
0: yes. Yes. It's Stuart subtly planting the idea of sending in the letters into Nathan's mind uh, so that Nathan does it and takes the blame instead of Stuart. It's. Him planting idea. It's just like that Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, which one was it? Um, oh, yeah, Memento, because I cannot remember anyone's names. <laughs> and you think at this
1: moment that Nathan has fallen right into Stuart's trap, and then Stuart starts to undress um, Nathan from the waist down, and then Nathan stops him and says, oh, I'm not doing this because I want to have sex with you. I want to do this because... Um, and he ends up saying... Um, at the end, I says i will not do it for a drag, I'll do it because I'm stupid and I sort of love you, yes, and you kind of I gain a lot of respect and we see the the massive character journey yeah that um or oh, and he also says that like Vince
0: would stop him from doing this, yeah, and the idea of, this is just this is this is Nathan and Stuart being devious. You know, that's what they have in common and Vince is not devious. Vince would not Vince would not get Lance deported, you know. Just for, you know, someone else's partner and, and maybe their son, you know. Yeah. Also I noticed when he's in the flat here, he's wearing a T shirt that like says bitch on it. Yes. With, like a woman with like a gun. I remember that. I know I know a lot of Incas have been spilled about misogynistic gays, but I guess we're gonna spill a little bit more just now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we sort of, we, we sort of as we come to the end of this episode, we think Stuart and Nathan, they're getting on quite well. Um, Nathan's doing Stuart a favour, and then Stuart, as Nathan is going down in the lift, opens the door and goes back inside, leaving Nathan hanging in the lift indefinitely. And you just think, yeah, Nathan was right. You are such a stu- twat. Yeah, he, he calls Stuart, Stuart
0: Jones. He calls him Stuart Jones, not Stuart Alan Jones. Because I think Stuart Alan Jones is like, makes him feel super adult and uh, deified and and mm. sort of like a, an object of, of desire and infatuation. And Stuart Jones is just his name. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. And so that is the ending of episode seven of Queer as Folk. We're nearly at the series finale, although there are two episodes after that. But, you know, uh, next week is going to be the ending of the the original series one series two is like two episodes so I don't even think you should call it a series it's just two specials it's kind
1: of an an appendix because it was only supposed to be one series and then it ended up being so popular that people wanted to see more of the characters and I actually read something the other day that people are still interested in seeing these characters come back and petitioning Rusty Davis to do a a sequel like a mini sequel 25 years later
0: yeah i mean because i was thinking because i would like to see for example cucumber is a show about sort of gay life at this time where it felt like sort of queer people had like the most rights and the most security and that's been degraded a bit since then and so i would be very interested to see a a program about queer life in the 2020s when things are not so uh things are not so end of history let's say mm, no exactly So yes, and of course, you can follow us on our socials. We are uh, at Davis on Davis on Instagram. You can also follow me on Instagram at Louis on Air, uh, Twitter Louis on the Air. Check out Lit Lab London for the science communication stuff I do because I am a science communicator, apparently. Uh, (laughs) And Zach, do you have anything that
1: you want to plug? Uh, Yes, um, I'm part of a campaign to help um, promote and generate clean energy in the UK using um, hot drinks because everyone knows just how much tea we drink here in the UK. Um, So you can follow us on all socials at T underscore W-A-T-T. That's T-Watt. Lovely. Because we're generating wattage because that's the unit of power. I feel like I had to over-explain that joke which means it's probably not a good joke.
0: Do you know there's a a Montreal metro station uh, called Atwater but if you get rid of the a at the front it uh, makes a different word which... I'm sure it has nothing to do with your T
1: Watt uh, scheme. No, no, no. We're very much uh, um, a British institution at this point. <laughs> and speaking of British in- institutions, coming up next is
0: presumably another podcast. Goodbye.